lockdowns, mass surveillance, forever war. Is this still the land of the free? It will be again. I'm Eric Brakey, and it's time to free America now. Because an idea whose time has come cannot be stopped by any army or any government. Can it be stopped? I don't think it can be stopped. Uh, This idea whose time has come, it's here right now. It's Free America Now. I am your host and renegade statesman, Eric Brakey. Welcome to episode 134. Of course, as always, hosted by me, your renegade statesman. And today we have back on the show, my friend, host of the Brian Nichols Show. What is his name? Of course, it's Brian Nichols. Welcome back, buddy. Hey, wait, 134 episodes already? 134. We just had Horton on last week talking about everything that uh, is going on in Russia and Ukraine. Of course, when like Horton's on, it's always like it's not so much of a conversation as much as like you just got to let the guy go. (laughs) He's a wealth of wealth of knowledge. So, yeah, 134 episodes. No kidding. Well, congratulations from, uh, yes, yours truly over at the Brian Nichols show. Congratulations. I know we talked like when you were getting ready to do this, you were mapping out Free America Now, and we were on the phone there for, oh my goodness, how many weeks we were going back and forth, and you were asking ideas and questions and stuff, and I like to see where you are now from where we originally were talking. Like, man, that's awesome. Congratulations. Well, it's nice, and I don't think we've had you on the show since we've spun off and gone independent, but we're independent now, And uh, but you've had some big stuff going on in your podcasting world. I Did I just see that you were on? Tim Cast IRL? Yes, sir. Yeah. Um, I was floored. Uh, l- reached out to uh, Lydia back like two years ago, a year ago when the COVID stuff had happened. I was doing some work with uh, these guys over a, uh, a PR, uh, as a PR guy for, it was Follow the Science. They're doing a docu-series. And at the time, we were really looking to get them on some some podcasts. So I had reached out to Lydia, um, and I know she was swamped, so didn't hear back. And you know, it was is what whatever it was. And then um, fast forward to about three weeks ago, and she she responded back. She's like, "Hey, you know, a year plus later, um, sorry about that. Completely missed it. By the way, would you be interested in coming on Timcast?" And I was like, "Oh my god, sure." <laughs> um, and, and of course, like you know, there's no set topic to discuss it's it's you know, talk about whatever the news is going to be on that day so uh you know going out there they're you know based in the greater dc area it was a trip to get out there so being out in indiana now it's not a quick little two-hour excursion now it's a whole you know planning to to, uh, to leave the place and uh it, it worked out well because my we, we ended up uh my wife had her sister's bachelorette party uh for out in, in philadelphia i got to see the the, the day job the, the hq out there so hang out there and uh yeah then got to hang out with tim cast and dude it was absolutely surreal um still still in like going a million miles a minute in my head like i don't remember half the things we went went over just because it was so fast-paced but it's been it's been great to hear the feedback from from folks, not just in the liberty movement, but like folks I, I used to work with, um, you know, in, in the fitness world. I haven't talked to in ten years, reaching out and saying hi, like just stuff like that. It kind of catches you off guard. You're like, you know, there there are more people out there who are open to our message that we're not really paying attention to, but they're paying attention to us. And if we just speak to them, they're ready to make a, a switch. They're ready to make a change. And I'm I'm really finding like that kind of has been proven true over the past week or so now that I'm getting back into the swing of things after getting back from my East Coast trip. Well, that's awesome. I mean, getting on TimCast, that's big leagues right there. It's like, boy, <laughs> you're moving up to the major leagues, Brian. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, um, I, I mean, I, I was blown away. Like the fact that me, like little little old me, got asked to go out and, and be on TimCast IRL. Um, yeah, it was very surreal, Eric. Still is very surreal. I'm gonna be very you know honest with you. <laughs> well, I think it's probably a good lesson and just kind of the the importance of you throw fishing lines out there and you never know where you're gonna get a bite. You, you I mean, you reached out to them two years ago. And then just all of a sudden you get a nibble on that line and you get a big fish there. So, uh, no, that's awesome. And it's, he's got like, what what is his audience? Like he gets like 400,000 an episode or something. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. I think, uh, the episode on YouTube, I looked at, we were ballpark like 350 K somewhere in there. Um, I'm not sure for the actual podcast though. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. And it's like studios out in West Virginia, right? Yes. Yep. Okay. What's, uh, what, what was uh, West Virginia like? Um, I was there for about 12 hours, if that. Um, yeah. Got there around like four or so in the afternoon, went to Harper's Ferry and got uh, a quick bite to eat. And then I was actually at the studio for about five hours. Um, you know, from the time you get there, you go to the green room, you hang out. Then we had, you know, a little mic check pre, you know, pre-show, just hanging out, talking. Uh, then the show itself is two hours. Plus, then afterwards, you have another hour or so of his Patreon um, special for supporting listeners. Not, maybe it's not Patreon, but supporting listeners. So, yeah. like, it ends up being, you know, we you're not done until 11, 11.30 at night. Get back to the hotel or it was the, a B&B. Um, you, know, you get to just chill for, you know, maybe 15, 20 minutes, try to wind down. And then I had to be on the road to uh, go up to Philadelphia that morning at five in the morning. So... I was literally back up, ready to roll at five, and we were buzzing. So I had work the next day. You know, I was at work <laughs> the entire day doing calls and stuff. So uh, yeah, that was that was an experience. But it was, I mean, how was West Virginia? It was nice. It was beautiful, and I understand why. You know, it's such a, a nice tourist location because, like, it looks like you walk into Colonial seventeen hundred. It's wild. Yeah, I remember uh, when I was younger, I was um, did like a mission trip with my church to like build houses in like almost heaven, West Virginia. And it's like, boy, I could understand how you call a place like this almost heaven. <laughs> it is beautiful out there. Uh, and, uh, uh, and very interesting politically, you know, it's just like, uh, uh, yeah, I guess in some ways, I guess it's a lot like, uh, like, like Tim himself, you know, a bunch of like former Democrats disenchanted with the Democrat party who say they're never going back. <laughs> Yeah, well, and you know what, Eric, that I know we were like, we don't know what we're going to talk about today, but I think we found it because like that that ended up being one of the main talking uh, points of, of conversation was the fact that you've seen the, the left really start to make these hard nosed approaches to, and in many cases, radical social issues, radical culture issues. And yeah. for a while, and I was actually just thinking about this in the car today, like for I would say 10, 15 years or so. It was pretty much like you you had to go along to get along. You were always afraid of getting canceled. You were afraid of, if you said yeah. something negative. So like the conversation ended up really focusing on Tim Cast towards the uh, the Florida bill, right? The don't say gay mm. bill. The, 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 the don't say gay bill that actually says you can't say uh, you can't say don't say gay. Um, but when we started talking about how the position of the left had now gotten to they having to explain not teaching regardless if it's, you know, transgenderism and just sexuality in general to K through third graders. And, and I was talking about how Ron DeSantis did a really smart political maneuver when he made that the context of the, the Florida bill, because now instead of 
us constantly seeing the the right almost going along with the narrative for fear of being canceled now they're taking that that true stance like you know here no no we're going to draw a line and now it's forcing the left to almost have to rationalize and explain away where they are in their positioning so yeah. The now you're to the point, and I, I say this a lot over in my show, when you're explaining, you're losing. And now the left is having to explain to people why they are in, in, in not just talking about the transgenderism issue, but they're okay with teaching kids, kindergartners, sexuality. That and and that's a conversation that your parents, like your average parent, is gonna have and be like, no, 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 I'm out. Because like if we're gonna have that conversation with a child. At least let me be the person, the, the parent, to be the one deciding that. So going back to you know Tim and, and the rest of the team, a lot of them, yes, are disaffected Democrats. And I think we're finding a lot of people are turning into disaffected Democrats because now they're realizing, oh, the Democratic Party that I signed up for, whether it was, you know, your, your grandparents who were all about you know, the JFK uh, Democrat, if it was your maybe your your parents who were like, I'm a Bill Clinton Democrat, minus the, you know, the the whatever the definition of is is um, or maybe they were looking to, stay, you know, as being Obama Democrat, all those things that used to represent what a Democrat was. I mean, right. if you were to take Obama's positions in 2008 and, and his platform and put it on mainstream Democratic talking points for 2022, he would be looked at as a moderate Republican. So you've seen that the the left has really started to drive more and more to that hyper partisan and, and cultural leftism. And your average person is not on board with that. And as we start to see the left almost double down and plant their flag on this hill that they're going to die on. I, I don't see it ending well for them. Just as, uh, just as we saw, you know, in, in the past where the, the left has been able to steamroll over these positions. Now they can't do that. They can't steamroll past this position because now more people are standing against the, the wokeness against the insanity. And they're starting to say no. Yeah, you know, it really is interesting when you think about it. You go back to like, uh, you talk about like where Obama was in 2008 in terms of what the messaging was. And it was like anti-war, right. pro-civil liberties. Yeah, there was a lot of like big spending, big government stuff. But the stuff that really excited people was a lot of the, you know, frankly, a lot of libertarian stuff that was in his platform that he promptly abandoned as soon as he got elected. And ever since the Democratic Party has become the pro-war party, the party of uh, you know, it's it. Um, I mean, Obama went from being the civil liberties guy to the guy with secret kill lists, <laughs> assassinating American citizens uh, in, in other parts of the world who had never been convicted or tried in a in a court of law. I mean, yeah, it's um, the the party's really abandoned a lot, of, and all the social issues. You know, it is. Um, I guess this. Oh, the, you know, the the I guess what do they call it? The parental rights bill. I don't mm -hmm. want to refer it to by the Democratic talking points. Yep. Um, but I remember, and maybe you saw this, but I, I, this, I remember seeing this. It was like an interview in the media with some guy who's like a kindergarten teacher who's, who's gay. Uh, and he was saying he was scared of this bill because he was worried that he wouldn't be able to talk to his, his kindergarten kids. students. His kids. About, yeah, his his kids. Yep. About, you know, stuff that he does with his boyfriend, like going paddleboarding over the weekend. It's like this is how he relates to the kids. And I thought on the one hand, I don't think the bill actually says you can't do that. 
So that's, I mean, this is kind of some of the conflating of so many, so many, so many things and people kind of not really understanding what the law is. But also, I was just trying to remember my kindergarten teacher. I don't remember ever hearing anything about my kindergarten teacher's love life. The, uh, you know, I wouldn't know if she was married or she was gay or straight. I wouldn't know, except for the fact that I think she had like Mrs. at the front of her name. That was like the only indicator we had. And at five years old, I didn't even know what that meant. I didn't right. know what Mrs. meant. I didn't know the difference between Ms. and Mrs. and Miss. I didn't understand that. And I remember like in elementary school, like even like later years, I remember, you know, kids would always like speculate and gossip about stuff. But but no indications like I don't remember any teachers from kindergarten, first grade, second grade, third grade, any elementary school. I don't think it's like we got to like even really like middle school until we had like maybe some concrete ideas. And maybe like I remember like in middle school, like, oh, what this teacher we hear that they're dating that teacher. But like they would never talk to us about that. And we only really got to confirm when like her name changed. Right, exactly. <laughs> you know, it's like there was like, I remember there being a degree, it was like, it's not even about, it's just like a degree of professionalism. Yes. That I remember, you know, where it's just like, if a kids would ask about these things, the teacher would say, I'm sorry, that's not appropriate for me to talk about. You're my student. Um, they don't talk, it was not professional to talk with your students about your love life, whether you're gay or straight or what have you, it doesn't matter. Even straight relationships, it's not appropriate to talk to elementary school students about those sorts of things. That's not your place. And yet I wonder if, if though that sense of professionalism has, has declined over the course of the last generation. Well, and it's why I brought in the, that one point, because in that, inter that interview you're talking about, he uses the exact phrase, his kids, his kids. And he says that, and you hear that expression, you know, our kids, my kids, it's the parents' kids. It's not, it's yeah. not the state's kids. It's not the, the teacher's kids. It's the parents' kids. And, and to what you're, you're saying here, I mean, every single person I would say who went to, to school, we'll say, you know, graduate pre 2010, right? Like th this, what we're discussing and you know, the, you're not knowing what your teacher did after hours, really. I mean, that was the norm. That was, unless, I mean, I remember when I was a kid seeing my second grade teacher, Mrs. Fenlong out at like the grocery store. And I thought that was <laughs> the craziest thing. I was like, she goes to the store. She doesn't live it. in the classroom forever. Yeah, I I figured they lived in the school, you know, you leave, yeah. <laughs> they, they just turn to bats and they go into the basement like that. And it, it, that floored me. But that speaks to how there used to be that separation of the the teacher and the student. Now, where there, everybody has like, you know, that one or two, you know, teacher you can think back to that you at least you look you're like, oh, yeah, that was a special teacher. Maybe you saw them out of school. Maybe you did know their significant other, but likely you didn't really get to build that relationship until you're old enough to build a relationship being what like middle school, like high school. I remember I had one phenomenal teacher who was one of my music teachers. And I, you know, I would say I was probably 14, 15 when I, I was like, yeah, he is awesome. Like, you know, he's somebody I want to look up to and learn and get to know more about. But you're not, you know, having that hyper weird sexual conversation with that teacher, right? Like that's that yeah. that's not something that you do. And then you bring that down to the scale of kindergartners to third graders, and and then that's it's like we we see it as being crazy and and out of this world, and yet that's been the the approach that's been taken over by a lot of these hyper leftist 
activists, really, that have taken over the Democratic Party. And, and you see this in the mentality of it. You know, again, the collectivization of the children is what's terrifying. It's our kids. It's my kids, his kids. Like, no, we, we have to. And this is why it's so important to stop the always explaining away things. We have right. to fight back. There have to be people out there who are willing to take stances that are not in the majority and are not popular, but are, are morally, ethically, societally true. And, and in this case, you, to see the, the fact that parents have been so willing to abdicate responsibility to their, their different teachers and, and the, with that, the, the administrations at these different schools, and now they're waking up to the fact that they've lost, in many cases, a generation of children, but they don't want to lose another generation of children. And yes, this is, this is unfortunately the result of parents being apathetic and yielding that responsibility. And the only thing that's going to change it is by standing up for something that's actually important to you, drawing that line and saying enough's enough, and then actually doing something about it. I, I see this all the time on social media. You know, people who will be in the comment section of like, oh, I'm never going to support one of these Democrats again. I'm like, okay, then like, actually do something beyond just not supporting a Democrat. Go out and either actively support Libertarian or Republican candidates. Like be, like be the change. Don't just complain about it. Actually go out and make a difference. And that's, frankly, I mean, I'm not trying to promote my own show here, but that's why I do what I do. I'm trying to help people be able to sell the ideas differently versus just feeling that the only way you can be politically active is to go into a Facebook group or into a comment section or a reply thread on Twitter and screech until the cows come home. That's not how people have their ideas changed. And frankly, that's not how any sale in, in business or in life is ever made. Yeah. You know, it, and I think it's easy sometimes uh, in political discourse when we just kind of look at the surface level of all these issues. Yeah. But it's always, I think, the valuable thing is trying to boil down, drill down to what's the underlying principle here. And I, I, you know, the principle that I see here is a simple one, which is that at the end of the day, it may, who knows, they say it takes a village to raise a child. That may be true, though a village is not necessarily the government. The government's not necessarily <laughs> included in that. It may, it may or may not take a village to raise a child, but at the end of the day, someone has to be the ultimate authority and decision maker when it comes to the raising and education of a child. And that needs to be, historically has been, and I think just, you know, society works better when that's the parents of that child. Uh, and so if the parent needs to be the ultimate authority, and that doesn't mean that you know, you don't, you can't, you know, delegate to other people, the, you know, educating your kids for you. That's what we do with schools. I mean, even whether it's the government schools or private schools or you, you, in a homeschool co-op, you might, you know, hire a private tutor, you know. But at the end of the day, if you don't, the person who is ultimately the ultimate decision maker and has the authority to revoke that at any time and choose a different arrangement are the parents. But I think kind of what you what you what you're getting at here is, um, you know, people have become complacent. And I think it gets to this kind of yeah, a an authority that is not exercised over a long enough period of time is eroded, and we're kind of at this point now where the these these government schools just kind of presume more and more. Well, the parents aren't really in charge here. We're the ones who get to call the shots, and um, I think it's it's great to see kind of. 
You know, I'm, I'm not sure how much uh, like space left there was on this runway where parents could be able to stand up and assert their authority, but they are now. And we're seeing some good changes, uh, you know, with school choice kind of taking taking grip across the country. Absolutely. I think ultimately, yeah. I will say like to, to to conservatives, though, I do think that there, that that kind of principle of parental rights has to go both ways. Like, you know, liberal parents might make decisions with the raising and education of their kids that we might disagree with. And we need to, if we want parental rights to stand for something, we need to respect that too. Yeah. Well, and let's go back to how we got here too. I think, I mean, when we're going through the sales cycle, one of the things you want to do is you trace the history, you figure out how the company or the person you're speaking to got to the position or the solution that they have today. Um, I think we we look at parents and in society in general, and we really saw this come to a head here in 2020 uh, through 2022. And that was the deferral to experts, the trust the experts approach, right? Mm-hmm. And for so long, I mean, we just saw this with uh, the, the new Supreme Court nominee, who uh, name's escaping me, um, Jackson. Help me. Yeah. Katanji Brown Jackson, I think it is. I, yeah, um, the I'm not I, I'm not a biologist. When asked the question regarding woman, uh, you know what what a woman is, and and that was right there. You see full on display this deferral to I can't have an opinion on something unless I'm told it's okay by some better expert or mm. parents saying, well, I'm not an expert in X Y Z field, so therefore I'm going to abdicate my responsibility of this hyper, you know, hyper personal, you know, hyper, I'd say in many cases, damning uh, choices that kids will make to an expert that, you know, and we, again, we use this word expert very loosely. Um, But what is expertise? And I think that's the question that we're starting to see really the, the proverbial onion being peeled back is in many cases, expertise in the way that we see them as society nowadays is nothing more than a pretty piece of paper or a fancy letter behind a person's name. Whereas traditionally expertise was based on somebody being able not to just to be able to talk about something, but actually do something with that idea to bring it into the real life and make the ideas applicable to, to what's actually happening. And we've seen that the, the deferral to expertise has become almost this, this ivory tower, uh, the laptop class approach to, to life and to governance. It's, why people feel so emboldened to talk about you know you know cheering nuclear war over due to what's happening in Ukraine uh it, that's not them they're not the ones who are having to deal with inflation they're not the ones who are going to have to deal with oil crises they're not the they say go buy a tesla right stop being poor and that's and that right there is now because the experts are also the people who in many cases quite literally hate you um that people are starting to fight back against this this BS expertise approach to not just the way we govern ourselves, right. but also the way we live our lives and the way we raise our kids. Hey, I don't want the quote unquote government expert in the public school, the government school teaching my kids. I'm going to go to a private school or a charter school and use my tax dollars there because let's fund some students versus funding stupid systems. Right. I mean, it would be one thing if we had a free market and expertise. Right. The people who we who we recognize as experts, this is something that comes about through just like them generally just like in a free marketplace, you know, 
being the best (laughs) and we recognize that they're the best at that. But what we have is centrally planned expertise. Uh, These are centrally planned systems where people are curtailed. People are kind of cultivated along certain lines, often kind of with direct government involvement. I mean, you know, I think one of the most obvious examples of this is, you know, we can look at economics, the fields of economics, the people who are generally regarded as experts in economics tend to be Keynesians, which is, in my opinion, totally a totally bogus school of economics that has been specifically cultivated because it gives the politicians the answers that they want, enabling them to justify printing trillions of dollars out of thin air and spending it and uh, how they want, handing it out to their special interest buddies. Like it is, it is, um, you know what, like uh, along the lines of what we might have called in in the past the court historians. You know when the when the king commissions uh, a historian to write the history in the way that makes the king always the the hero and the good guy, and our country is the best. Yep. It's like, of course, this isn't organically developing. This isn't organic expertise. This is these are these are people who are serving their patrons, yep. right? And at the same time. You look at like the Austrian school of economics, which is you, you. Whenever you hear from the government or from the corporate press, like who the experts are in economics, you never see them highlighting anyone in the Austrian school of economics. And yet, and yet, like here we are. They say, "Wow, nobody saw this inflation coming. Nobody saw it coming." Well, nobody in the expert class, the the the, the corporate press approved, the government approved experts, but you know these people who you say aren't experts because they. Uh, are the ones who've been saying, don't print all the money. By definition, they're not experts because they're given the answers that the government doesn't want. Um, uh, these these folks are these folks are are yeah, anyway, they're 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 not held up as experts. So those no. are experts that I have a lot of respect for. I have a lot of respect for the expertise of people like uh, Jeff Deist uh, at the Mises Institute uh, and um, and a lot of these folks. So I have a lot of respect for experts, but it's not generally the experts that the government tells us to respect. Yeah, well, and it shows you why there is such a discrepancy between public sector and private sector. And and really, I, I think it goes back to why what Corey DeAngelis is doing and what we were talking about earlier with just not only getting students out of government schools, but also like parents taking back over the the responsibility of raising their children. Um, yeah. and, and I say that both from the, the education standpoint, but also from your, your morals, your ethics, what, you know, what is good, what is bad. Um, that's important. And, and it's important for parents to be the ones that are having that conversation with their children. And I, I think it's, it's really showing right now why, the the advents in new technology are so exciting because they're gonna they're really going to make and already in many cases have made the traditional government solutions, which by their nature in many cases are monopolies. It's making them inefficient. It's it's showing the chinks in the armor, and we're seeing this. I mean, Khan Academy, right? I forget the name of the the organization Elon's been doing, but it's all focused on like games and helping kids learn through games. Mm-hmm. YouTube, I mean, good, good God, YouTube, for all the things that we can hate on YouTube for, it has single-handedly done more to help educate people uh, across oh, all yeah. ages on a variety of topics than any course or college or school could ever teach. I mean, I learned a little bit 
in my technology class, which was woodworking basically. But like, am I using that in an applicable way today? No, but what I am using is the real life things that I can learn when I'm going out and, you know, going out with my father-in-law and doing little projects in the house, right? Or back when I was up in, in the North Country helping my dad fix a tractor. Like that stuff is is stuff that's real life. That's, it makes, yeah. it makes the the education, it makes the that's the, the knowledge applicable to real life. And, and I actually, I had a professor back in college um, and I, I'm very thankful for him and him saying this because he used to be a corporate executive for about 30 years and he went to go to college to teach explicitly and exclusively for the fact that he knew he had to be a different voice from a management perspective than what was being taught in college campuses. And he, he would used to say, there's two different books that you're going to read. You're going to read the, the management textbook that every professor will you know give you as a, the reading text for the year. Then there's my book. Then there's my textbook. And my textbook is literally 500 pages of emails, of processes, of systems that I've used over 30 years of a career. And and not only has it worked, but there's reasons it worked. There's 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 principles that work. Culture in in companies is super important, but yet you you don't hear that really taught a lot in management classes. So let's focus on the things that really do matter, the things that are important. And the more that we've seen technology get to the point now where those people who are saying, yeah, you know what, it doesn't have to be the this you know just completely arbitrary pie in the sky solution instead let's make these ideas we have and look to see if there's tangible ways to make them real and i think bitcoin really was the the, the main launching off point here with people seeing what's possible in this web3 space just as the internet was with people realizing what was able and impossible in our current space and, and i think as we move forward and we're just going to see this by the very nature of the way that technology is going to be be presented to us is that when the government solutions become almost just not, not, not I want to say just not necessary, like they're almost obsolete. It's like, why would you why would you go and get the lesser quality product when you can go ahead and get a much mm. higher quality product in many cases at a much more uh, affordable cost? And, and that right there, we're going to see people just start to reject government solutions, except and this is the big except, except those who are funded and who are supported by the, the government institutions, which are currently funded by extortion, by taxes. So that's why we have to play the game. And I get I get I, the argument from folks who don't want to get involved in the political arena. I understand. I talk about this with business owners all the time, but it's going to keep being involved with you until you get involved, right. until we start to to either neuter the means to funding this or start to change fundamentally the way that we interact with government. It's going to be have to be one of those two things. And if you're the business yeah. owner, you're going to have to be the one that does that change. It can't just be the consumer. It also has to be the producer side as well. People who love liberty, getting involved in politics, that's an act of self-defense. And we should all be for self-defense. People say, oh, government is violence. I don't want to be involved in this. It's like, yes, it's violence being used against us. Yep. And so we got to fight back. We got to lean in. We got to engage. And we've got to. It doesn't mean that we should try to take that ring of power and use it against our enemies, like in the same way that it's used against us. We should get that ring of power and then we should erode its power so that yep. market forces, free the forces of freedom can uh, can can replace these very coercive institutions that do so much harm. But you mentioned you mentioned YouTube. 
And boy, I remember when I was younger, you know, YouTube being such a great tool, uh, you know, so many, I, I, like I had the access to the Library of Alexandria at my fingertips. I was watching Milton Friedman videos, interviews with Ayn Rand, Ron Paul, like debate clips and yep. so many things that like really informed me and gave me access to so much knowledge that I would not really get from traditional mainstream establishment sources. And that really allowed me to become who I am today. Um, and it's so sad to see the censorship that is going on now on platforms like YouTube and Twitter uh, and so many of these these places that were once really, really great, um, uh, great, you know, uh, in, in, they, they were platforms of innovation in the decentralization of information. Yeah. Um, but of course, I woke up yesterday, Monday, maybe you did, too. And we saw there's a new king of Twitter. That's right. <laughs> uh, Elon Musk coming in. He's buying like um, somewhere between 9 and 10% of all 9.2%. He's the biggest, biggest shareholder in Twitter now, like three times as much as its founder. Um, Jack Dorsey, uh, yeah. Jack Dorsey, who Jack, I, I, I've had a lot of respect for Jack Dorsey for a long time because I could see, I felt like he was like, when he was there, CEO of Twitter, I felt like if you go like... <laughs> I'm being a little hyperbolic here, but I felt like at times it's like you want to like watch his like uh, um, his like his eyes blinking to see if he's giving you Morse messages code. in Morse code like SOS. <laughs> I'm surrounded by crazy people here. Someone save me. You could see um, it on that Joe Rogan interview. Um, it was actually it was it was Joe Rogan and Tim Pool. Right. And um, how about that coming for full circle? And it, Jack Dorsey brought on his I forget her role, but it was like the chief explaining officer. <laughs> like these are why we have these arbitrary BS policies. And Jack's like, I don't want to explain it because this is stupid. Go ahead. <laughs> and then make the, the girl go ahead and explain why the policy makes sense, which it never did. Sorry for doing the Joe Biden thing, by the way, where, where he leans into the, the microphone and he whispers. That's so <laughs> creepy. I hate it. Old man smells like mung uh, beans or something. But, uh, yeah, I, I f kind of felt like uh, on the one hand, when Jack Dorsey left, I kind of felt like, you know, good for Jack Dorsey. He obviously was very uncomfortable there. This was a case of a company that he started that had kind of uh, uh, he had kind of seemed like he had remained a figurehead there, but it forced to defend policies that he obviously was very uncomfortable with. Uh, it kind of reminded me a little bit of like Donald Trump as president of the United States. It's like, obviously, you're the president of this uh, this this organization, but you're obviously people you don't seem to be the one calling the shots like no. you can like give orders and the and the organization has a mind of its own. Um, and so good for him. Jack Dorsey got out. He wanted but to you know what? Bitcoin. And I will say, Eric, he should have cleaned house if that's the case. Like I could not imagine if like at my my company for my day job. Right. If my my coworkers around me like all just were like, F you to the CEO. Number one, that would never happen because that's, again, culture matters. That's why it's so important. None of us would ever do that. But number two, even if we did, he should have the right, and frankly, he should, fire all of us on the spot. Like, the fact that Jack Dorsey didn't see what was happening internally and be like, no, no, like, out. And fortunately, he helped enable some of this. And you know what? I will say, he has come to terms with that. I think he has been talking about this in mass. Like he apologizes for the role he's played in in Web two and in, in the centralization of the internet. And you know what? Thank you, thank you for saying that. Like people being humble and admitting when they are wrong. That is like one of the most refreshing things in twenty twenty two. Yeah. Well, he's. Um, yeah. I, I don't know what's next for him, but I. Uh, you know, and I. I sometimes I feel like now you 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 have run your own business. I feel like 
you know, maybe you have some more experience to speak from in that regard. But I sometimes look at a, an organization as massive as, as Twitter, and I wonder just kind of how much one person can really be in charge of all these things um, and, and how much uh, and how much the organization manages to insulate itself from the person in charge, like we've seen with our well, own hey, US I, government. I look at Elon, and this is why I'm so excited for Elon, like Tesla, they have been just killing it. You go back to the articles that were written, you know, 10 years or 10, like five years ago about how, you know, Tesla, it's, it's not going to be a company. It's going to go bankrupt. It, you know, mismanagement from on top. And Elon has been culturally just setting the tone for his company from the beginning. And, and that's why when you bring people into that environment, you see the success because they're all going towards this same mission where if you go to Twitter, what's the mission of Twitter? I don't know. Yeah. Like, do, right. do they know? And, it, and back when it started, it was supposed to be a free speech town square. That was the the role of it. But yeah. is that its mission anymore? No. What is the mission? I don't know. Ask Twitter. You'd, you'd probably get 15 different answers from 15 different employees. And I think that speaks to why there is such a, a just a crumbling. And that's why there was a big void and why Elon's the, the King yeah. Kuba now. Well, I know you got a hard out, and I want to make sure we wrap up in time. Um, but of course, I just do want to add. So yesterday, Elon bought <laughs> got his. We all found out he he's the biggest shareholder on Twitter. Today, we find out now he's on the board of directors. Uh, who knows what's next? But let me ask you, prediction. Yep. Do you think Trump's getting his Twitter account back? Oh, yes. I could see him getting his Twitter account back. I could see the Babylon B and Alex Ford getting their their uh, Twitter accounts back. I could see a lot of names from people getting their, their accounts back. I, I would not be surprised in the slightest. Well, that would be a great day. Not that I'm always like the bit. I have my own criticisms of, 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 of Trump at times. So I think he's, you know, anyway, we don't have time for me to give a whole uh, dialogue on Trump. But certainly... It's crazy when the president of the United States was kicked off of Twitter when you have like, what is it, like members of like Al-Qaeda and the Taliban, (laughs) they're still on Twitter. This is crazy. So there has to be, there have to be universal standards. And frankly, those universal standards for Twitter to be of any value need to be in favor of free speech. I'm okay with the Taliban being on Twitter. I just think our our former president should be able to be on Twitter too. Is that too much to ask? Jeez. I, you would hope not. All right. Hey, Brian, final thoughts. Final thoughts. Uh, I will go back to uh, one of the main feedbacks I've gotten from my appearance on Tim Pool. And people thought that I was uh, like sickeningly, sickeningly optimistic. And there's a reason for that. It's because we have to be optimistic. If we're going to be, I mean, you become what you think. If we think negative thoughts, we think the doom is the doom and gloom. The end is near. Then that will be our reality. We have to see mm-hmm. the light at the end of the tunnel. There has to be a light at the end of the tunnel. Otherwise, what are we doing this for? So, um, be the change. Be optimistic and uh, stay positive always. Yeah, I think it's important to be a long-term optimist. You can be a short-term pessimist, but be a long-term optimist because <laughs> if you're a long-term that. pessimist, then that's just like admitting that all is lost. There's nothing we can do. You might as well just like go home and You're sit Eeyore on the floor. Yeah. So be a long-term optimist because in the long term, with consistent effort applied day after day, 
in your life and with the lives of all of us in this decentralized liberty movement, we can change things. And we are changing things. Look at constitutional carry. 25 states now. Half of the states in America, constitutional carry. That's decentralized liberty efforts across the country making a difference. So, all right, we're going to end there. Brian, thank you. This has been another episode of Whose Show Is It Anyway? Because this is going to air on both (laughs) the Brian Nichols Show and Free America Now. Always love doing this with you, Brian. Thanks so much. All right. All right, everyone. I'll be back on Thursday with a guest. I don't know who it's going to be yet. But uh, until then, furthermore, my opinion is the Federal Reserve should be destroyed. See you then. In a world full of Eeyores, be a Tigger. In the world of a Federal Reserve, be the nuclear bomb. In a world of uh, censorship on Twitter, be Elon Musk. Be the Elon. Musk it up. Thanks for listening to The Brian Nichols Show. Find more episodes at briannicholsshow.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to subscribe. Want to help us reach more people? Give the show a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. Find us at briannicholsshow.com and download the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow me on social media at bnicholsliberty and consider donating to the show at briannicholsshow.com forward slash support. The Brian Nichols Show is supported by viewers like you. Thank you to our patrons, Daryl Schmitz, Michael Lima, Mitchell Mankiewicz, Cody Johns, Craig DaCosta, and the We Are Libertarians Network. This is renegade statesman Eric Brakey, host of Free America Now, a podcast for people ready to strike down tyranny. As a former state legislator who knows how the political machine works, I lead every episode with a free-range discussion alongside thinkers, activists, and policymakers. People like Tom Woods, Hannah Cox, and WWE superstar and Knox County Mayor Glenn Kane Jacobs on just how to free America now. New episodes are released every day, Monday through Friday, and you can find Free America Now on your favorite podcasting app. So be sure to subscribe, unless you're a communist, in which case I understand why you wouldn't really like the show. Furthermore, my opinion is the Federal Reserve should be destroyed, so let's free America now. Are you tired of wasting your time watching people argue about politics? Are you ready to learn how to take liberty-based solutions and bring them to your average person and get those ideas into action? Hi, my name is Brian Nichols, sales executive and host of The Brian Nichols Show. As a senior communications consultant in the greater telecommunications and cybersecurity sector, I've spent years working with C-level executives to help them future-proof their company's infrastructure for an uncertain future. At The Brian Nichols Show, I'm bringing my sales coaching and expertise to the liberty movement. Why? Because instead of focusing on winning arguments, we're teaching the basic fundamentals of sales and marketing and how we can use them to win in the world of politics, teaching you how to meet people where they're at on the issues they care about. Subscribe to the program at briannicholshow.com and find the show on your favorite podcast app. Again, that's briannicholshow.com. And oh, be sure to grab my free copy of my new ebook, Four Easy Steps You Can Take to Sell Liberty to Friends and Family, right now while you're there. One more time, that's briannicholshow.com.